You're listening to Black Neon Digital Podcasts, episode 24, Flora Davidson, navigating fashion sourcing with Supply Compass. Welcome to Black Neon Digital Podcasts. I'm your host, Jodie Meter Hamilton, the founder of Black Neon Digital, and I believe the future of fashion is to honour craftsmanship whilst embracing innovation and to support each other to build businesses that have integrity. The entrepreneurs and visionaries who we speak to are using fashion as a way to create change, finding new ways of working towards a more sustainable and connected fashion industry. Flora Davidson, co-founder of Supply Compass, a transparent fashion sourcing platform, launched her business after spending time with people at all job levels in over 200 garment factories. Supply Compass act as a matchmaker between factory and brand. Capability and long-term vision are taken into consideration before a match is created. This ensures the right factory is paired with the right brand to develop a great product and relationship. Both factory and brand work in a standardised and transparent way that cuts down misunderstandings and speeds up production. In this podcast, I talk to Flora about what it's like to be a tech company co-founder and how Supply Compass plan to use their recent £1.5 million investment. So sat here today with Flora Davidson from Supply Compass um, and we are going to talk today all about your journey into your tech firm and how you got there and how important sort of India is to you and also what we're going to talk a lot about is um, kind of the platform itself and how brands can use it but also we're going to talk about your company in terms of the um, how you came to get investment and that whole journey as well. So, um, welcome. Thank Just you. Um, to kick off, can we talk a bit about your journey into pre-supply compass? So, I know you worked, for example, with um, Flamingo, who are a, a group that I absolutely adore, and kind <laughs> of the stuff that they put out is very much in line with how I kind of approach my work as well, I guess. So, yeah, so go for it. Yeah, <laughs> great. Well, thanks for having me. Um, so, I spent my... Um, previous life prior to Supply Compass working for Flamingo, um, which is a market, for those who don't know, it's a market research um, agency that does a lot of, um, it's qualitative market research, very much understanding the consumer around the world, um, doing lots of uh, user kind of interviews, and but through a kind of cultural lens. So really I spent a lot of time traveling, um, mainly um, to Brazil, America and France were my core markets, um, working largely um, within the fashion and sports wear industries for brands like Adidas. Um, and I think what I really learned there was the value um, in understanding people, um, what drives them, what they want, and, and really building products or innovating or kind of you know shaping your offering around that. 
Um, because I think all too often people think they know what everyone wants, but actually you don't know until you go out and interview people. And I would spend three weeks at a time. Literally, I remember one of my trips, I was in Brazil um, for L'Oreal watching women wash their hair. So most of it was watching and we would be interviewing them afterwards and it was um, just an exercise and observation and you, I went with my assumptions on this is how I wash my hair and yet it was totally different in Brazil when I was sitting there watching them in their showers. So it was a really um, amazing starting point for me for Supply Compass to learn the importance of research mm. really. And in terms of how in-depth you have to look at things and, and so qualitative but also quantity as well, kind of that's important to a tech-led firm as well because, you know, iterations of actual product that you're building and kind of even to um, user interfaces and all this kind of thing is is a lot observed from what you've, you know, what you're saying that you've observed with L'Oreal, etc. Um, how have you... So what other sort of projects at Flamingo did you do in terms of so you one example was a hair what other kinds of things did you do while you were there um that specifically made you think this structure this way of working I can use this again in terms of how we so how we approached projects so I worked uh, a lot with Adidas for a few years and we would spend two or three months purely doing research we would have some assumptions we would shape we would um, build discussion guides around some assumptions very open-ended questions so you'd say what do you what like how does this make you feel what does and then when people would say things you'd go and why why what does that you know you'd never push you'd never ask closed Mm -hmm. um questions and so that is that really has stayed with me in how when I spent two years at the beginning of supply compass living in India researching the manufacturing sector as an outsider coming in and I think it was actually really important for supply compass for me to be an outsider because I um there were so many inefficiencies and so many issues that actually I could just come with a fresh eye and question. And and when every time we arrived at a factory and asked the same questions, and that was key, is mm. having the same questions. We'd visit, we visited 200 factories over our time in mm. India, asking the same questions and spending a couple of days, but also observing. We would have meals with the factory owners and the, and the staff. Um, and it's that combination of open-ended questions. It's also what isn't said mm. that is really important. That's yeah. what we learned at Flamingo. And what are the kinds that aren't? What are the kinds of things that aren't said? Um, it's well, when you what you really start to understand is that, and this is why um, with qualitative market research, you it's the longer you can spend with someone, it, the better. Is that those first few hours? Often they're telling you what you they think you want to yeah. hear and so you you'll they'll start saying this is you know you you go into a factory for example and then they'll say everything's great this da, da, da. and then you start to unpick you go okay well what like when there has been issues like what why has that like what you know what's come about there? and then they'll start to feel relaxed and trust you and open up and then you really start to understand the problems at the core mm. um as it they kind of unfold over time um and then you, if something isn't mentioned, but you've kind of have assumptions on it, then you go, oh, what about this? And they go, okay, well, actually, now I trust you to have this conversation. They'll then open up about it. What are the typical kinds of problems that arise? And I mean, the commonalities between factories must be, you know, still there. But what are the what's a typical issue, would you say? Process. Yeah. There, it's, it's the... Um, 
disregard or the lack of standardization in every single factory and from every single brand and that was something that became apparent really quickly and I think we we went out to India with the um, kind of aim of, of helping match brands and manufacturers much better and then our research led us in the direction of we need to help them work better together and mm. we need to help both sides so we need to, we kind of place ourselves in between it's not just about helping brands or just manufacturers we need to be the piping mm. that sits within the supply chain and not just manufacturers but also tier two tier three suppliers and we need to set a standardized way mm. of working really um so yeah so how in terms of so each factory whether they produce different garments, different accessories, whatever, you know, they obviously work in very specific ways. Brands work in very specific ways and have their, you know, tech sheets in certain ways and et cetera. How have you managed to get them on the same same kind of journey together and, and be that person saying, no, we need a standardised way um, to make this work? So that that is that will be that's an ongoing journey, <laughs> yeah. and you know, as a new business, that is a you know that's obviously your initial struggle as a new business is to get people to listen to you when you're new to something and say no, honestly, this is really for both of your benefits. Um, so at the moment, because we're you know part tech, part service company, it's harder. When it will become easier is when you can't do something unless you do unless because the platform mm. will say you need to do this in order to do this. And when there's a, a screen telling you to do something in a certain way and you literally can't move on to the next mm. page until you click OK or approve something, um, then pushing back will be easier. Um, a lot of it really is a gradual education point. And we, from a, from a brand side, we spend a lot of time with our brands, kind of sitting down with them and explaining to them why we're doing things in certain ways. But we also have to work with their ways at first and then slowly move them over um, with manufacturers again it's time on the ground so we have our team here and our team in India and we move back and forth and mm-hmm. that really for us as a business our, that's our secret source is getting the is onboarding mm-hmm. both everyone in the supply chain to this new way of working yeah. I think what's interesting about you is that's exactly what you do so you don't just you know basically you're you're a matchmaker based on defined parameters for each brand and for also the factory and I think what a lot of companies do is perhaps um, just say here's a supplier list enjoy go forth you know Um, and I think both can benefit from that knowledge and also readiness so it's kind of they're ready to now partner and go forth can you explain a bit more about that matching like you know like matchmaking almost isn't it yeah definitely Um, well so that was where we kind of started and we when we started off our time in India without our platform pre our first raise of investment we were acting really as a traditional sourcing agent or matchmaker um, and what was clear is that we we monitored it from two different ways. So some orders we would um, a client would come to us and a brand would come to us. We'd match them with the factory and then we would keep they would keep us in CC and we would just watch the process. Um, invariably there were so many issues and manufacturers came back to us and said please can you manage this for Mm. us when to kind of caveat this we're specifically working with SMEs and so there's that's where manufacturers struggle to push back on as well because there is a lack of process particularly from the SME um, sector um, because there's not whole huge sourcing Mm -hmm. teams but in terms of the matchmaking so we um, there is a tendency if a if a brand and a manufacturer um, are, are kind of put together or find each other, it becomes very quickly about 
cost. Mm-hmm. And so a brand will pick, often pick a manufacturer based on it being the cheapest. And we fully understand the need for um, a, a kind of cost-effective option for all of the brands we work with. But we, so what we'll do is we'll present, we basically explain why we've matched a brand with someone and we'll, we'll reach out to three of our partners when we get a request in. And we will look, obviously, at cost. We will look at, so when we onboard a manufacturer, we take a lot of data from all the machines they've got in their factory, the capacity, their skill set. We take photos of everything in their showroom. So what we also um, want to match is also their strengths. Because if you match mm. a brand and a manufacturer, when on the surface, you know, great, it's got a GOT certification and they do jersey. But when you get down to it, they haven't got a screen printing unit in there in the um, factory. So they're actually outsourcing that. This is a brand who's really strong in screen printing. This needs to be in-house. Mm. So these elements, which perhaps they not, uh, you on know, the surface, on the, you yeah, exactly. So these, it's taking all of those elements into consideration, and it's also, um, you know, we we there's every brand has different um, kind of a different starting point. Some brands actually, it's just all about speed, and they go, look, we don't mind so much about this, this, or this, but really, we need to quick, you know, we need to, mm. we need to launch this really fast we'll go for a different manufacturer where it's much more about speed the price might be a bit higher so it's really um understanding the goals of that brand Mm. at the beginning because a manufacturer the worst thing you can do is match match a brand with a manufacturer that's not right both sides leave Mm. annoyed um and that reflects badly on us so we Mm. really take care and so at the moment the matching is more manual and it's done based on all the criteria that we have and this is something that we will look to automate mm-hmm. as we scale and um, but very much based on you know loads and loads of criteria because mm. i think also it's it's very hard sometimes having made in factories in overseas and india and all sorts of places turkey etc there's a very often short-termism view about from both sides i just need this product made and kind of that investment isn't always you know future focused or potentially I might need to do screen printing a few years down the line or what's your capacity or I'm you know I'm thinking about making denim later you know do you make denim like there's not there's not kind of that discussion up front because you're just looking to the next you know the next month the next garment or whatever Um, and I think you knowing the factories and what they can do for other people really helps you to match correctly with the brand and their vision and I think that's quite a you know it's a very tactile sort of thing yeah how how are you going to then turn that into the automation to the to the tech side of it a bit so you know so you can retract yourself from so much definitely I mean that's always our focus is uh, you know there's large elements of what we do is manual but always how can we automate this this part of it we we feel actually won't be necessarily a a challenge to automate it will just be about getting much more upfront and like a huge range of information from a brand it's like looking at what they've made before looking at fabrics that they're interested in working in going forward future three collections looking at product categories that they might want to stretch into um and so really just that onboarding process and i think you what you were kind of really suggesting there which is so true is that people want to move so fast at the start and what what we have to spend a lot of time doing is slow down Mm -hmm. you might want your product fast we can we can help you do that bit fast but actually let's spend time up front in getting things set up properly Mm. because if you rush into something then it, it often you rush into the wrong thing um so 
for us the matching at the moment doesn't actually take much time but it it really we will have that's where the name supply compass really comes from having all elements mm. of the compass and matching based on a mindset on values as well um on location and often people have kind of preconceptions about where they want to manufacture and we say people say we don't want to work in India we've had we ha- we've heard it's really mm. bad and we go great you can't stereotype a whole nation but uh, let me understand where your reservations or hesitations are coming from but if they're also getting their materials from if a lot of organic cotton comes from India and then they're shipping it over to yeah, another country so we want to really match um, at a local level from a manufacturer and make sure that their suppliers are within within reach we don't like importing any fabric mm-hmm. wherever we work yeah which is important to you because i know you very much care about sustainability angle of production mm-hmm. so can you just talk about that in a broader sense so in terms of the fabric and yeah mm-hmm. so this was something that so sustainability really has been in our dna from the start so prior to starting supply compass i started my own clothing label that um was trying to present sustainability in a fun and with humor because i felt that often sustainability was presented in a very serious manner and actually it wasn't necessarily appealing to lots of consumers so as part of that my setting up that brand i um really saw that it was just going to be an absolute no-brainer for us as a business and it had to come right at the start in our dna every manufacturer that we visited it was very clear that we were it was a non-negotiable that this was these were our values and so we looked for those values in our partners as well um i think what was really clear from our two years researching in india and building our business from out there was that sustainability can't happen unless technology is at the heart of it and it's not a very sexy marriage but sustainability and efficiency go mm. so well hand in hand and process will is really the enabler of it and obviously the transparency and visibility but really looking placing data at the heart of it and learning from mistakes and also monitoring you know past collections and looking at progress mm-hmm. and things like that so for us sustainability our our kind of position on it is we really see ourselves as a facilitator or enabler of sustainability and so in order to do that it's about picking the right partnerships and also partnering with the right brands as well who want to go on that journey but also realizing that it is a journey and the 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 infrastructure the systems in place at the moment aren't necessarily fit for it there's a lot of really exciting new businesses and technologies that are surfacing which is great for us because we can only focus on one part mm-hmm. so we can partner with other businesses who are doing exciting things in the same space um but so we kind of what we do is we match the first stage of the process to match with the right manufacturer um looking also at the certifications that a brand mm. wants because not everyone is looking for the mm. same certifications um so we 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 match with the right manufacturers as well mm. it might be plural and then we focus first on materials which is not everything but it's a really good starting point and what we'll often do is we'll like work on a capsule collection looking at the raw materials um and focusing on um you know looking if we're working with organic cotton and working with got certified dyes as well and then we look at the whole product as well so we look at labels and packaging mm-hmm. and so we have a really great label partner in india who um uses recycled um cotton waste from the factory floor to make yeah, swing tags. labels are, uh, 
kind of the whole labeling and packaging yeah. actually is a real big headache because yeah. a lot of the labels aren't recyclable so therefore exactly. the garment can't be recyclable exactly um how do you how do you approach the whole um you know certification side of things because you know i know we've talked off air about how valid they are or how the appetite for them and I think probably you know maybe in 10 years will they be redundant or not I don't know but Mm. how do you approach that and is it very much brand driven or you know because we were talking about when you um you know the first thing you rock up to a factory and you say give me your certificates and kind of like it's not really the way to start a relationship is it yeah I mean yeah we've I mean we've talked about this before and I think we I I feel very strongly that they are an amazing starting point um and it's not only are they um important but they are also a good indication of what that manufacturer sees as important as well and it's actually just the most important thing is to understand their motivations behind getting Mm. those certifications if it was just driven because they think that they need it versus we believe that this is the future and seeing how that like plays out in their factory as well and are they actually living and breathing it or is it just on that day from that certification day you know we've been to factories where they're you know they they're they're compliant and everything but we just didn't feel that it was felt throughout the organization um i from from our point of view we they're a requirement that we have a mixture of from a social uh, certification point of view fair trade gots also from a social social perspective bs um bsci smeta um obviously s8000 as a base requirement um, but we so that's our so how we find our partners is that we first we um, have we reach out to them or they come to us we prefer to actually reach out to manufacturers rather than them come to us because it shows we want to hunt them down and the busy good ones often are harder mm-hmm. to find but they so there's an onboarding process it's a very long stage process for a manufacturer coming to our network and it starts with a um, questionnaire which gets all the right details that we need to assess if they're right for us and then we have a call or a Skype and then we visit um, and then we film um, and photograph and then we have a second part of our onboarding process which is much more detailed which is getting um, all elements of kind of pay um, what machines they have what do they do with their water effluent do they have a water effluent treatment plant what do they do with their waste all of these questions we just ask these questions because lots of people don't ask these questions when they start working with a factory because they go we need you and we need you now so in a way we're doing the due diligence that when someone comes to us that's that's in place i think what was exciting as well for me and completely sideline but the um the fact that you're building up this photographic and video archive of factories really excited me i was like oh this could be a whole feature-length film but you know kind of that shows that you really care and that it's important so then you can show your brands as well that and it's real it's factual do you know what i mean um, I'd love to be I mean it was my my dream at the beginning even when you're starting a business you realize you have to keep your focus <laughs> but to have because yeah. n- people don't marry supply chain softwares with creative content and yeah, I just yeah. think it's so exciting and I think provenance is an amazing example yeah. of they've got some amazing content that they've done yeah. that they've created and I think that there's if we've got those relationships we're we're in the right place to mm. um create interesting engaging documentaries because you need that trust in mm. order to create something exciting so this is something watch the space we will yeah. have more content <laughs> coming out i want because what my because the desire at the beginning was really just to this short-termism we don't want short-termism we want long trusted mm. collaborative open relationships 
but to, to start with that, we need to tell stories. Yeah. And storytelling will be increasingly at the heart mm-hmm. of what we do. Yeah, which is um, probably partially why you've got your investment. So um, <laughs> I know you, I know we haven't talked about it yet, but you have a co-founder who is very strong in kind of a, a different, not fashion, mm. you know, different area. Can you just talk a little bit about him and what he does and yeah. how that's played part of the process for the investment as well? Yeah, so he's he's very much led on the investment front. Um, he um, comes from an and he did engineering at university and worked in construction project management. So he's a very process driven guy, which is actually brilliant coming into the fashion industry he just said why is it why does it work like this why does it work like that why is everyone doing it like this because he came in and said well when we build a building in in the construction industry there is a set way of working and you have engineers architects and um, builders all trying to work from the same thing and it's actually not that far away from what's happening in the manufacturing industry you've got designers and makers all trying to speak the same language but not coming from the same starting point um so he he um has led more on the investment front but obviously you know as soon as you get into more serious discussions with investors it it was the both of us um and i think what the investors saw in us was um someone who i mean if you're building a SaaS platform efficiency and process and automation is really at the heart so that's really where gus my co-founder that's his focus and he's ceo so really he's the lead on the financial part and i'm more on the commercial um side of things and new business and um that side of things but yeah how did you find the whole investment process because i know you've had sort of seed and then you've got another round of vc so how was that for you because i know it can be extremely all-encompassing and yeah. life zapping <laughs> it was it was a full-time job for us yeah. for a for basically six seven months yeah. um and it is all it's totally all-consuming but what the what I think that in hindsight during the time you think this is the hardest thing I've ever done but in hindsight it really helps you sharpen your business mm. and you go into we probably pitched to about 40 different VCs and some of them tear it apart and then some help you build and then some go we're not right for you but actually I'm going to introduce mm. you to these guys and so how we found our lead investor episode one was an it was a you know at the end of the process we've we we came to them and we'd really sharpened our um our business and they they really saw the potential in the industry and kind of saw that there was such a lack of um there there was such a need and yet so few businesses Mm -hmm. solving this problem that everyone's just kind of got on with for so mm. many decades um, and they really understood the, the need for sustainability um, and that's something that was really important mm-hmm. to us in finding investment some people just weren't interested in that mm-hmm. um, so it's 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 a long old process mm. and then you just it's an ongoing an ongoing thing yeah. but it's it was necessary yeah <laughs> I think what's interesting as well that they um, probably picked out the fact that you're you were driven by the research part and the need and the desire and that human contact touch point bit rather than building a platform and trying to sell it. And I think that's really integral to your business as a whole, isn't it? It comes from a, a need and a real love, not just, I want to make a tech company. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's I, th- very I, mean, different. I feel like some, they, they definitely could see our passion. I mean, we, we're obviously totally, you get totally obsessed with uh, with your own business, but I think they could, could see the experience and understanding and passion on our faces to really make change happen. 
And I think, you know, we had to, there was obviously some pushback from some investors being too non-technical folk, co-founders mm. building a technical business. But we said, to do this, we've seen other people do this and fail, and who've just launched a platform and that's it. And actually it's, we are coming from a different starting point and research and the human um, understanding is supply chains are so informal and there's so many manual processes and is so much about relationships mm. and trust that you can't just Bang drop in, in a yeah. fully fledged system. <laughs> it's almost yeah. you've got to just like build it bit by bit from within, from buy-in, mm. from everyone. Mm. And I think our investors could see that this, I think they did their, they obviously did their due diligence and, yeah. and saw that um, that it couldn't work any other way. Yeah. So now, what are you going to do with the money? So I know at the minute you're looking at literally developing the platform. So you've mm. onboarded more development team yeah. and kind of putting more process and man. Can you just explain yeah. what the next steps for the actual platform are? So the next, so we have our team has expanded. We've probably I think we're we've just had eight new people join in the last month. So it's been or maybe not quite eight. I'm making that up, but um, <laughs> <laughs> we've had. So our focus is really um, on twofold from a production operations point of view is is really starting to build a set process that that will then inform the build of our technology platform so we our team is split our tech team is split between here and Hyderabad so our CTO sits in Hyderabad and our product lead is here in London and we so our focus really we want we um We've got our MVP, which is more of a kind of design development software at the moment, but we want to build a full uh, sourcing ecosystem. Um, we can't build that all in one go. So it's really working out about where the most value is at right now versus in a year versus in two years. Um, so we are focusing very much on the design development sampling process because we the matching will always be there, but the design development sampling is really the foundations of where mm -hmm. if things go right, things are great. And if things go wrong there, then the whole order slips off. So actually production, we, we really see that the kind of issues arrive in that sampling phase, mm -hmm. not the production phase. So we will be launching a kind of new supply compass 2.0 towards the end of mm -hmm. the year fantastic how um so i'm just thinking about we're talking about very much the beginning of the supply chain what about we've touched on packaging you know how do you deal with that and then even you know post consumer are you looking at you know waste management i know we've talked off air about kind of like there's no recycling waste recycling at the end of the road for textiles like how how do you envisage that in the next five years or something this and is I it mean, something this, you're going to tackle it so we our focus is design to delivery so we very much are looking at the kind of product life cycle yeah. in those stages but we were we see ourselves in as part of the circular economy in the future so how we tap in or how we sit within all these other parts of the system is really important mm -hmm. for now we're we're not focusing on on that on what happens after mm -hmm. goods leave our yeah. leave enter the warehouse um but we are working with materials that have come back into the supply chain um, it's definitely there is a lack of infrastructure mm. across the board and so working yeah. out where to start is hard. Yeah you've got to take it piece by piece and kind of yeah. there's other areas you know that other people are looking at that can eventually slot into yeah. you like a jigsaw yeah. sort of piece. Exactly. Um, just thinking as well so initially you are you know it's all Indian manufacturers is that right? Yeah. Um, 
have you got any plans to go to other countries what about the UK for example like how do you how's that going to pan out so at the moment 70% of our manufacturers are in India and the, the majority of the rest are in Portugal so we have chosen those two locations because they have very um, complementary manufacturing expertise we are staying focused for the next year on these two locations because there are plenty of manufacturers to cater to a growing demand of, from our brands um, but we see ourselves as a global business in every sense of the word so we what we want to be able to do is have a kind of pilot our technologies in these two um, markets and if it works when it when it works there then scale it so Mm -hmm. get it right and then scale because if you if you spread yourself too thin and try and do too much at the start I feel like it's um it's much harder to be successful and we've got a real understanding of what it is to manufacture in India and half our team are from India and so this really if we get under the skin of uh, of like building technologies for the Indian market then we also have to understand culturally what that means if mm-hmm. we were to go to China mm-hmm. or Mexico or Vietnam it the system would be the same but how we enter into that market mm-hmm. we need to have a team a local team to, which comes uh, back to your days at Flamingo very yeah. nicely actually. <laughs> yeah. so you'll be building your own Flamingo yeah, team yeah. sounds like oh. Um, one of my team asked about you know future plans to integrate to other systems or build out other systems for example PLM and kind of like order processing is that in the pipeline or do you think eventually (laughs) uh, definitely we have to be um, very aware of how we link into existing systems and existing supply chains for brands at the moment our focus on SMEs means that there are less systems in place um, and we so how we really look at that is that we um, we want to partner we're not going to try and reinvent the wheel in areas that there are already great systems mm-hmm. in place so who what is what is our USP versus who do we want to work with mm-hmm. um, so there's interesting organizations like tech companies like Inspectorio we wouldn't go into that space it'd be looking at partnering with them mm-hmm. so plugging in um, in that sense we also have to consider so when we're working with as we go after larger businesses if we're only working with a portion of their supply chain how does that work with if they actually want to use our project manager software or production management software with factories who aren't in our network how do we fit in so our focus will be on enabling brands to um, work with our factories also with their factories with our software mm-hmm. yeah makes sense you can only bite off a yeah. <laughs> each chunk at a time focus, focus is the key if I've learned anything <laughs> my friend um, Kat sent me this Johnny Ives thing and it was an interview on Vanity Fair and it was like literally him talking about focus and really? she sent yeah. it on a day I was like right I'm doing this and she's like you know just focus but it's the hardest thing because when you get yeah. passionate about things you know you've just said about the content in the system and it's kind of like all these things yeah. you just want to do and you're like right how can I achieve yeah. that but and when you, you can... I think when you start a business you have all these great ideas and those ideas are there they're mm. just in a list of great ideas one year two year three year and it's right it's always thinking right like what's actually viable for us a business at the moment and what do what do brands actually want Mm. you know are they willing to pay for content at this point now actually what they want is help delivering a sustainable collection on time let's keep our focus on that and so we kind of bite off um three month chunks and we think this is our focus for the next three months our focus Mm. now for the next we've done lots of user interviews now it's building this platform Mm -hmm. then launching and then iterating and so keeping that focus is really important and that's what going through investment the investment kind of system yeah 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 
do you get any sort of outside business help or mentoring or support or any kind of you know not just financial support in terms of like here's your money but yeah. kind of the structure the mm. growing a business how to manage a business how to onboard new people mm. like do you get any support so our um angels from our first round so we went part through cedars and part had direct angel investment um were amazing support they had a very wide range of skill sets financial one of our lead angels um uh, has a background in circular economy so she was really involved in looking at what we do with waste in our supply chain and then we had some support from a sales business development perspective so the investment journey gives you that support but it's we we sought out investors who were and someone gave us great advice to us at the beginning they were like find and find people who sing your praises and who support Mm. you rather than people who tell you what to do and so our network of advisors are really um supportive and that's a really it's a really nice you need to be able to go to people outside and be honest and say Mm. i'm really struggling with this because it's hard building a business um but in terms of more formal structures the the whole vc world there's a lot of really interesting talks they have a lot of there's a lot of amazing connections within that space and that's been already you know within a few months of of starting working um, more closely um that has been really amazing how do you actually find those like online where can people look to find these talks or these things or is it more closed network thing or it's actually so in i feel like it's probably more of a closed network thing or whatsapp there's a Mm. few whatsapp groups there's a few facebook groups but it's definitely something i think i found hard Mm. on this journey is a lack of um I found it difficult to find a female mentor mm-hmm. um, and that's not to say I was looking specifically for a female one but there's lots of we've got lots of male investors and they're fantastic but I also want to I want a female mentor from yeah. from a, from somewhere from a different in, point of view exactly yeah, yeah. particularly as someone maybe who's been in the tech space space who's not mm. technical themselves I think would be really um, interesting because yeah. you do you can feel vulnerable at times and think mm. god but you you kind of pick people up along the way yeah. and um i have a bit business coach which is great yeah. um for me and my co-founder and that's really nice um it, you kind of just struggle but everyone mm. has finds their own way and mm-hmm. there there doesn't seem to be a right way per yeah. Say, yeah 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 um how do you feel now as basically the co-founder of a, a tech company <laughs> did you ever imagine this would be your place you know coming from school from whatever even <laughs> trips to India or like you know how I don't I it's really hard to look back um and think I don't think I ever could envisage envisage where I would be but I knew that it was going to be something around that was innovating a sector because I think that's where I was really excited is is I'm always into like pushing change improving process pushing improving as well not just from a comms like my background's more comms and strategic consulting but it's um I could see so I the front side of the fashion world wasn't for me but the kind of how things are made and um very analytical yeah, yeah I think that I, I don't know if I saw myself in the tech space, but at the same time, that's where everything, it seemed quite a natural um, progression for me. Um, 
but it's and I, I think that, that fashion and tech coming together is a really that's probably a merging of my two interests yeah, so yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah brilliant um just to round up quickly is there anything you want to say and also what do you do in your downtime like what's your fun what's your fun things apart from like business coaching fun yeah and it's this is something that I am so I'm I'm really strict with myself. Weekends, I don't work on weekends unless there is something super emergency. I don't work on my weekends because I can't be that person in the week if I haven't had my downtime. So, I mean, I cycle to work every day and that to and from work is a really good meditation time for me. I swim. Um, Travel is always a key part and that's continued. I mean, I think when me and Gus started the business, we thought we we kind of built it around our interests as well. And we both love travel, having spent two years in India and any I mean, supply chains will take us all over the world and having we don't we don't get the kind of holiday that we'd like. But picking and yeah. finding days around visiting factories um it's it's you have to be so mentally strong to Mm. switch off um and but also because I'm passionate about it you know and it it bleeds into it bleeds into your own life um but see I mean seeing friends for me probably exercises you can't do everything exercise has had to take a bit of a cut because seeing friends I want to I need to keep doing that how did you and Gus actually meet anyway we met a university we met a university um and kind of came together with supply compass out in india um but yeah cool lovely thank you (laughs) thank you till next time be sure to join the conversation via instagram at black neon digital twitter at digital neon and online at blackneondigital.com